an important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. In this episode, it is my pleasure to interview Kendra from Peace, Love, and Low Carb. She's the face behind the popular food blog Peace, Love, and Low Carb and the author of multiple best-selling cookbooks including Craveable Keto, Keto Happy Hour, 30-Minute Ketogenic Cooking, and the Primal Low Carb Kitchen Cookbooks. She is a lover of all things low-carb and keto and is a firm believer in weight loss and health benefits from the low-carb lifestyle. After 15 years in the restaurant industry, she is a foodie through and through. In fact, if you ever sat down with a meal with her, there is a good chance at some point during the meal you would hear her exclaim, God, I love food. (laughs) When she's not in the kitchen, working on a new recipe, she is usually found traveling the globe, throwing weights around the gym, doing yoga, playing with her pups, hiking, and kicking back and relaxing. Her dream day is being surrounded by good friends and laughter, and she lives in Seattle with her husband, two kids, and five crazy pups. In this interview, we dig into her approach to keto, the conjoining idea behind all of her cookbooks and the way she uses the ketogenic to aid her own weight loss, and at what stage you might be able to start eating the ketogenic diet in an intuitive way. So please welcome Kendra. Kendra, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited uh, to chat with you today. It's a total pleasure. I um I've I've always been, you know, looking over your food blog and and just looking at all the amazing photos. And I, I I think um I was looking at one of your recipes when I first started blogging. Uh and and I was just looking at the photo and I thought, man, like you've really nailed this photography thing and, and you've and you've also got really, really good recipes. And so I was, you know, super inspired by that. But can you sort of tell us where you started and and uh, what blogging looked like for you when you first began? Yeah, you know, it's funny because it's such a learning curve as you go through it. And just when you think you've mastered something, something changes or you learn something new. And I started my blog as a hobby back in 2011. And at the time, I didn't know anything about blogging. I was still working in restaurants. I just knew that Uh, I wanted to lose weight. Low carb was working for me. And so I just kind of started taking pictures of what I was making. And I had a friend that said, you know, you should start a blog. And I was like, you know, I should, that's great. I should start a blog. And so from there, I just took what I very, very little I knew and ran with it. So I was taking pictures like in a super dark kitchen with like kitchen lighting, not even any great natural lighting on like a first generation iPhone. 
and putting those pictures on my blog because I didn't know any better. And like, I didn't know anything about photography or about blogging. And so some of those pictures actually still live there today, which is kind of funny. I just haven't had a chance to go back and update them. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit off the podcast before and we were saying how, you know, a good recipe always comes back to, you know, people always come back to a good recipe regardless of the photo. But in the food blogging world, you always feel like you need to really nail the photo so that you attract more people first. But I sort of feel like it goes the other way around, right? I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you want to have a great photo, obviously, because I believe you eat with your eyes first. So if I see something and it just looks completely unappetizing, I'm not going to try the recipe. However, next to that, if you make it and then it, it just tastes amazing, if you say you take a chance on a recipe with a bad photo, and then it can still just go as viral in nature, which is what happened on my site. Like some of the most trafficked posts on my blog today still have some of those old photos. And so that makes me feel it makes me know I made a really sound recipe, you know, and it's, it's weird because I think it somehow makes, sometimes I think I've discussed this with other bloggers. Obviously I would never want a blog full of bad photos, but I think some of those older photos makes the average home cook think I can do this versus the super polished and pretty picture where they think, God, I can't, I'm never going to make food that pretty or, you know, so it's a fascinating dynamic. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree, you know, and um I always think that there's a little bit of uh genuineness if you if you have a a picture that's not perfect or if you have a picture that sort of looks um you know, really tasty and really doable and it's a simple recipe and whatnot. So, yeah, no, I totally agree with you with with you on that. Um but you said and you touched on a little bit before that uh you spent 15 years in the restaurant industry. So, maybe let's go into a little bit about you and if people don't know uh you and what you do and and all of the things that encompass your food blog and recipe books and things, can you sort of give us a little bit of a backstory on you? Yeah, so I, I did work in 15, for 15 years in restaurants, you're correct there. And it was all the way from like crew level, front of the house, you know, uh, server to bartending, all the way up through management, HR, payroll, um, things of that nature. And never back of the house, never in the kitchen, which people always assume when I say that I worked in restaurants that I worked in the kitchen because of what I would do now. But I never had a position that was in any way related to the kitchen other than the fact that I worked in the actual building, you know? So, um, when, and I always loved to cook. My mom will tell you, she doesn't know where I got it from. I grew up in a very meat and potato household, like our condiments. <laughs> yeah. Just every, it was like all meat was well done and our condiments were salt, pepper and ketchup. <laughs> so she'll say, I don't know how you even come up with this. Cause you certainly did not get it from me, but my actual blog was just kind of born out of a hobby turned career because I just, I needed to lose weight. I had had a friend that had talked to me about Atkins is how they initially said like, Hey, have you ever heard of this Atkins diet? Would you want to do it with me? And so I said, yeah, you know, I'll try it. Cause we were still very much not about the quality of food. It was more about like just bunless cheeseburgers and lots of ranch and, you know, like low carb beer and being more concerned with just the carb count than the actual nutritional value of the foods we were eating. And so and then from there, I just kind of started taking pictures of what, what I was eating. And, you know, someone said, you should start a, you should start a blog. And I was like, yeah, I should start a blog. And then, you know, you should start a Facebook page. And I'm like, yeah, I should start a Facebook page. And then from there, it honestly just kind of took on a life of its own. I realized how much I loved it. And I realized that maybe it was something that um, I could do as a profession. And 
I just, I never gave up at it. Like people say, well, how do you find success as a blogger? And I just say a lot of literal blood, sweat, and tears, like sheer grit and just refusing to quit because it's a really hard thing to transition into um, as a profession versus a hobby. What, at what stage did you think that um, this could potentially be uh, something that you do full time? Was there any sort of like tipping point? Was there a particular recipe or was it uh, maybe one of the cookbooks that you released that you were like, okay, this is for real? You no, know, I always joke that with people, and I'm only half kidding when I say it, that I think I just came out of the womb with an entrepreneurial spirit. And I... To be quite candid, I quit my job well before I should have from a business or a financial standpoint. Um, I just knew that I wanted to do it and that it, the time felt right to take a leap of faith, like the biggest leap of faith that I had ever taken in my life. And my first book ever, I didn't even, I never approached a publisher. I self-published a hundred recipe book. And because self-publishing is not cost effective, it's like a small little leaflet without I mean, I say leaflet, but it's a hundred recipes, but it doesn't have photos because it was just too expensive to publish a full color, you know, cookbook. And so I've always just kind of been from the beginning, instead of treating it like a hobby, I treated it like it was a job, even when it was a hobby. And so my timeline has been a lot faster than it should have been, but it has suited me well. Um, I quit my job about five years ago now to do it full time. And I would say at least that first year, I probably should have still been you know, working. Um, but I just, I refused to go backwards. And so every day it was incentive to make it work and to learn. And like, I'm just, I'm a chronic researcher. So like I'm completely self-taught with blogging and, um, you know, photography and everything. And so it's just kind of never giving up there, but I've been doing it. I started my blog in 2011 and I've been doing it strictly full-time for about five or six years now. Wow. There's, uh, there's some uh, <laughs> there's some serious professional knowledge in here. <laughs> I really like that. That's that's so awesome, and that's that's pretty much exactly how I operate too. I I feel like um, uh, some uh, and I don't want to get too too far down this rabbit hole, but I guess like some some food blogs can definitely be a hobby, and and uh, and when you start even just any professional in general, like if you start treating it as a hobby and it's for fun. Um, that there's certain things that you actually don't get over. Like there's certain boundaries or, uh, you know, big brick walls that you're not able to push through because you're not, um, you're not treating it any more than just a hobby. And I, uh, and I experienced that with, um, I did tour cycling a lot before this. And, uh, and I, I, I started something there. And then there was a whole lot of hurdles where I was just like, you know what? I don't have the patience or the persistence to try and push through that. And, uh, and I think, you know, you, from what you've said there uh, about the food blog, uh, that definitely resembles um, what I was feeling at the time too. too. So for anyone who's listening to this podcast and you're thinking about starting a food blog, um, there's, there's no particular one right way to do it. And, you know, there's plenty of help out there, but generally all you have to do is just dig your teeth in and, and get going because, that's exactly how um, you, you know most people start keto. Oh, sorry, <laughs> most people start keto as well because they've you know they've got weight to lose or they've got a uh, medical condition that they're trying to treat and they don't really know how to do it, but they're, they're, they 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 need to do it. You know, they they need to push through that. And so, was there um, you know what was the motivation for you? Um, going down the low carb route and then eventually going um, pretty keto now. You know, before I answer that, I want to say, I think you really hit the head on something about like the time of blogging and like starting, you know, low carb or keto. And 
one of my things that I can't preach enough. And, you know, there's, as keto grows, there's a lot of different opinions, expert and otherwise, um, about what keto looks like or how you should do it. But I agree with what you said. I just don't think much like blogging when it comes to low carbon keto, I don't think there's any one size fits all approach. And I think it's dangerous to preach that there is. And so I just wanted to say that I think you really touched on something that's really close, near and dear to me there. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I, you see these people that just say, this is the only way to do it. And I always tell people, if someone is saying like, this is black and white, this is the only way to do it. And if you don't do it this way, you're a failure head for the hills. Cause that's just not true. Um, mm, yeah. And everyone's different, you know, and everyone, uh, relates to things differently, whether it's dairy or whether it's, you know, you've got an autoimmune disease that you're trying to treat or whatever it is. Like all of those things can make your life as a ketogenic <laughs> dieter very hard sometimes. So yeah, I would totally agree. Yeah. And I just, you know, like you said, every, everybody is different and every body is different. So what works for some isn't going to work for others. And so, but I mean, for my kind of personal approach, you know, it started, like I said, just learning about Atkins, which I think is where a lot of people back in the day that had started low carb. I think that Atkins was a lot of people's first exposure to a low carb diet, just the original Atkins book and, you know, that kind of, um, methodology behind doing it. But for me, I started because I, I wanted to lose weight and, I always say that my desire to lose weight is how my blog was born because I learned really early on for myself that if I was going to find any success, that it couldn't come at the cost of the foods that I loved. So I just kind of set out on my own personal mission to recreate all those foods. So if you go to my site, you'll see a lot of like comfort food recipes. Like I redid pizza. I redid mac and cheese. Like I redid bread. Like all of the things that I wanted to still eat. Um, I just created a new template in which I could still eat those things, but in the new lifestyle that I wanted to live and then kind of going from there. Yeah. I, I, you know what, um, (laughs) that, that, uh, that idea that, um, you know, you can replace those foods and you can take the food that, um, that you had before and then just switch it into something that is low carb, uh, is fantastic, you know? And I think that's part of the reason why so many people, um, can sustain keto because there are those things that you can, it's not just this elimination diet or it's not a, um, it, it doesn't feel restrictive. And I, and I come across a lot of people who, who say that they've, they've really found that, ketogenic diet or, um, you know, at least going low carb or uh, whatever it is and whatever it is that works for you, um, just feels really natural and that they can, you know, they don't feel deprived. Was that, was that the same feeling that you had when you started or did you go through, uh, periods of time where you were just so addicted to sugar and, and that was really tough or was it mainly just smooth sailing? You know, I mean, obviously there's bumps in the roads everywhere because sugar and carbs make you crave sugar and carbs. And when you're coming from a SAD, the standard American diet, trying to switch to more of a low carb ketogenic approach, um, you know, it is vastly different. But for me, like fat is delicious and fat fills you up. And I just didn't feel, I just didn't feel deprived. And, you know, like I was saying, recreating all those comfort foods and that worked for me. But I mean, it can be a slippery slope for some because if cookies are your downfall, you're probably still not going to practice portion control with low carb cookies. You know, you're still, you know, and so if you eat 12 cookies, it's not low carb anymore because you've eaten 12 low carb cookies. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, But for me, I, a lot of the foods that I really liked and that I gravitated towards were already lower carb in nature. So it would be things like, you know, just like skipping the bread or like leaving off the bun or like I have always loved vegetables. I was never a fruit person. 
And my cravings were always savory in nature and not sweet. So I think that that kind of gave me a leg up. So you could put cookies and cake in my house and I could ignore it indefinitely. But if you put a bag of Doritos in my pantry still to this day, 10 out of 10 times, I would not be able, I would eat them, you know? So it's, for me, it was like knowing my triggers, knowing my cues, and then just always keeping the right foods on hand. Because a lot of times it's just about getting the right foods in your mouth before you get the wrong foods in your mouth. Because once you start eating something, if it tastes good, you feel satisfied, you know, low carb or otherwise. So I was just very mindful about keeping the foods around that I knew I wanted to eat and that I knew I should eat. Mm. Yeah. That, actually like what you touched on just before about saying, uh, you know, it's about getting the right foods in before the wrong foods. That is, that is fantastic advice. And I think that, um, you know, for anyone who d- does struggle with either I don't know, being able to get rid of those foods from your house because you have to live with other people that aren't keto. Um, are there any other tips that you would sort of uh, give to people who are going through uh, the ketogenic diet or they're going low carb and they say that um, they're having a really tough time actually trying to remove those foods? Is there any sort of like, um, I guess, psychological traits that you can push forward instead of you know let let those things succumb you like uh, for me you know i i live with my partner and she doesn't uh she she's not keto so we always have plenty of you know that sort of food around in the house and some and sometimes um there's there's just some things that will really really catch me <laughs> um and then other times you know it's uh, it's it's totally fine and and uh i've i've you know there's there's some things that i can pinpoint but are, are there any things that you've you've found that work really really well for you in terms of being able to not just remove the food from your house but actually deal with it in a mental perspective yeah and see this is another area where i don't think everything is black and white so i tell people you know cuz a lot of people will say you know you have to start clear out your pantry, throw away all of the bad foods, start today. And it's a, it's a really big shock to people. And I think that that kind of approach can really set people up for failure. And I tell people, if you are a person who struggles with binge eating or really intense cravings or just issues of willpower, taper down, start gradually. Because if, if you have, if you're going from 200 to 300 grams of carbs today or even higher, like you know what our standard American diet is here, and then you're taking it down gradually, you're not going to get, you know, like those symptoms that some people experience of keto flu or those raging, like intense cravings, but you're still making leaps and bounds every day by over the lifestyle you were living. So I tell people like, be honest with your craving, be honest with like the level of willpower and self-restraint you have, and just do the best you can with what you have. And if, if easing into it, instead of just like saying, I'm going to throw everything in my pantry away, go grocery shopping, and I'm going to hardcore do this tomorrow. If that's, if you know, that's not realistic for you, then don't torture yourself and do it that way. You know? So like maybe today you cut out French fries and you get a salad instead with your side dish, you know, Maybe tomorrow when you're having your bacon and eggs, you have some avocado instead of the toast, you know, and you just clean it up little by little. You're really going to set yourself up for success. And then each little benchmark, you're going to feel so good about yourself. You're going to want to keep going. So while jumping right in for some people works, it just doesn't work for everyone. 
Yeah, that's totally true, you know, and, and that, that, uh, gigantic earthquake of going from, uh, 300 carbs a day to 20, like 20 to uh, 10 times less can be a huge stress in itself. And then they, uh, there's a whole bunch of issues surrounding by the, the stress in, in terms of, you know, a drastic diet change. Um, and, and it always, it brings up this, uh, this, uh, quote that, um, Levi Allen, he's a YouTuber. I don't know whether you watch YouTube or not, but he has this quote and I don't know where he's got from but i'm crediting him (laughs) and he says the best time to start something was 20 years ago and then the next best time is today and so if you if you can you can figure out how to make whatever it is that you're trying to do work today then um you know because there's always tomorrow there's always going to be next week there's always going to be next year there's always that thing in the future but um being able to start something and just move in the right direction today is actually uh really empowering advice. And I think that a lot of people uh, might get some use out of that. But uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the your cookbooks. So you've got uh, one, two, three, four, four cookbooks. Is that correct? Yeah, I have four professionally published print books. And then I have one self-published print. And then I also have five eBooks. Wow. <laughs> That's, <something good. laughs> That's amazing. Um, first of all, congratulations because those things are so hard to make and the photography and the, and the recipe development and just even just like the putting it all together into a book is just <laughs> so crazy. Um, so what, you know, what was some of the inspiration behind, uh, creating the first self-published cookbook and then moving on to a publisher and was there, uh, were there things that, you know, you liked about both of those processes and then, you know, uh, uh, from the titles of your cookbooks, um, there's like the, the craveable foods and the happy hours and the, the 30 minute ketogenic cooking. And I guess it's sort of, you know, going towards that, that really easy approachable style of cooking is, is that, um, the way that you envisioned those cookbooks five years ago? You know, it's funny. So when I self-published my print book, it just seemed like the natural progression of where I should go since I wanted to do it as a business. But knowing what I know now, it's it's pretty funny. There are upsides to it. Obviously, the real, if I'm honest, the only real upside to self-publishing is if, if you're a control freak, which I can be. I will admit that. Because you have control over everything. There's no one saying, hey, we don't like this title. We don't like this cover. We don't like this layout, you know. Um, but the theme throughout all the books, even that very early on, so I started my blog in July 2011. I self-published that print book in 2012, I think. So it happened pretty fast. But my goal and the thing that's common through every single book, self-published, professionally published, or even ebook, is that I wanted to keep simple, approachable, easy, and with only ingredients that people could find at their local grocery store. So no specialty or weird ingredients, no like specialty products that, you know, you know, have this word keto tied to it now where you feel like you have to have it. And it's just real whole food that you could find at any grocery store. And just showing like, you don't have to be a master chef to create delicious food and that anybody can pick up that book and feel like they were a chef, you know, by the time it's done, because it's just easy and concise and approachable. And so I think if I had to say one word for the theme of all my books, it would be approachable. Mm, yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's so good because, um, you, cooking can be a stressful experience for some people. And, you know, for, for, for people like you and me who we spend a lot of time in the kitchen, uh, it, it ends up becoming this thing where you just get really good at it and you can, uh, you, you can make these gigantic recipes. Uh, but, but, you know, for someone who's looking to start, 
um, a new way of life, then that gigantic recipe is actually going to cause them a whole lot of stress. And so being able to go and down the route of uh, approachable is just, um, yeah, it's just amazing. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say that, um, you know, when you go, uh, to a publisher, and they say, no, we don't like that, that cover. And, um, and I guess like from the self publishing perspective, you're like, well, which cover do I use? <laughs> because you've got no idea. Like <laughs> there's, there's, there's that experience thing where you, uh, where I guess in, in hindsight, um, if you were to do it yourself, it would be, uh, much, much different as opposed to, going with just, you know, people's outside opinion. And so uh, I, I sort of wanted to talk on that a little bit as well. When you, uh, you know, as you've grown your business over the past five years, um, how do you, uh, I guess, stay sane <laughs> in, um, in, in working by yourself and working in uh, an environment where you can't just turn around to the person behind you that's sitting in the office with you and ask them a question or if, you know, you've had a really bad experience with, with something, how, how do you sort of uh, go about trying to um, be a better person and, and move forward with those scenarios? Because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening as well who are not only keto, doing the ketogenic diet, but, but doing it by themselves uh, and that applies to business it applies to what you're eating it applies to everything so um is, is there any advice that you would give to those people after doing five years of working for yourself you know it's just a choice every single day to get up and stay on task and to move forward and i am a really motivated self-starter um and i just see the task at hand and i get it done but i also you know, you know the saying when they say like, uh, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That is not true. If you love what you do, you will work more than you have ever worked ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I, I don't really have an off button. I work a lot, but I've also, I've also, I'm a very independent person. So, you know, while I love spending time with my husband and my friends, I, I kind of thrive and recharge on my alone time. And so it's a great work dynamic for me because I, I would say that I'm kind of like an extroverted introvert, you know, and the older I get, I lean more towards that introverted side. And so um, it's really how I fill my cup and recharge is working alone. But that being said, I have met some great people. You know, they say, don't talk to strangers on the internet. Well, you know, I've met some really good friends that are, you know, in this industry, you know, blogging professionally, and we can kind of lean on each other because, you know, only they are going to know what it like gets, what it's like to get a horrible comment through your blog or to get trolled on Instagram or, you know, like it just the heartache that goes along with it. And so I've made some good relationships and kind of, kind of think like anything, it's just kind of a buddy system. Like find someone that you feel like you can trust, who is genuine and who is authentic um, who kind of shares your mission, vision, and values in life and kind of, you know, latch onto that person, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a keto diet buddy, whether it's a fitness buddy, whether it's someone who works in your industry. Um, but I think it's part of it. Side tangent here is just don't be afraid to just be yourself and put yourself out there because I think that vulnerability and authenticity shines through over everything else. Mm, yeah, that's, that's really powerful. And I think that, yeah, as you said before, that applies to so many things, you know, um, uh, what I usually say to people when they're first starting the ketogenic diet is that find a friend and go out and give them $50. <laughs> and then at the end of the month, if you've stuck to the diet, you can have that $50 back and, and, you know, get that friend to put it in a safe spot. <laughs> but the, 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 the idea of, um, 
of uh, losing something that you already had is uh, much stronger than um, just going out there and doing it without a mission. And so, you know, like going through and, and, and having those days where you can you can really lean on your community, where you can lean on the people around you because uh, you've told them about what you're doing and you've told them about the, 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 the really, you know, hard things that you had to deal with today or the temptations that you went through or, you know, the, the, the comments that you got on your blog. And my gosh, I've had some terrible ones, <laughs> but everyone does. And, uh, and, and I think that, you know, that, that applies really well to, um, you know, trying that, that diet as well. Uh, and so for, for those people who are, are struggling to get started, then sometimes that is a good way is to just let people know around you. And it's a little bit um, of a, you know, a, a double-edged sword because there's this thing where as soon as you tell all the people around you that you're going to do the ketogenic diet or you're going to start a food blog, it's like you've already received the gratification of achievement. And sometimes you need to be just careful of that because, um, you know, those, those, those people around you, they go, Oh, great work. You know, you, you, you're going to, you know, really turn your life around, but you're the one who has to do all the hard work and you need to understand that, um, that it is going to be a crazy tough road. And I think that sometimes it's just the way it is. But have you had any experiences where, um, the, the ketogenic diet or, um, being in the restaurant industry or, um, you know, being a food, on the food blog, was there any time where you thought that, uh, you couldn't move forward. And then after that, what did you learn from, from, from that time? And I, and I guess it's sort of like, which, which uh, failures have you turned into successes in a little bit of a round trip kind of question? You know, I mean, I think that the area where that's most prevalent is my life is, is with my own weight loss career because I've lost and gained 60 pounds three times. And I'm currently in the process of losing the weight again. And each time I've learned something new, um, that helped me the next time, you know, with the ultimate goal of, you know, getting to a weight that I want to be at, um, and, and living a, you know, a healthier lifestyle. And so, I mean, sometimes it's a lot of trial and error and sometimes it's just about just being honest with yourself about with your shortcomings, about what your triggers are, but also just not being able afraid to say, Hey, I'm human. And I aired. And like, I've been very candid with all of my readers about gaining weight and the struggles that led to it and why, um, and, you know, walking that fine line between this is what happened versus this, is, you know, making excuses. Because I'm not the type of person who will ever make excuses. And there's a difference between excuses and reasons, you know. And so, um, but for me, I just, you know, I think it's, I think it's taking what you learn, course correcting and implementing it. And that's with anything. That's like if, if you have failed attempts at weight loss or if that's if you hit a roadblock in your business or your life, your marriage, anything. Like, I think it's learning the lesson course correcting, adapting, you know, I just think that that can apply to everything. And so that one area where that has been a struggle for me has been getting the weight off hasn't been the struggle, maintaining it for a lifetime has been. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's, that's really powerful, you know, because even, even in scenarios where you think you're doing the best thing, um, can sometimes be pushing you in the wrong direction. Like I recently ran a marathon and I did 12 weeks of training for that. 
and I went and got a DEXA scan and I, and I found out that I was 25% body fat, which, you know, for some people may not be the, the end of the world. But uh, for me, I usually sit around the 15%. And so I was like, what am I doing wrong? That has made me like I thought I was running this marathon for and and uh, and so now I'm I, at the moment I'm course correcting and uh, and I'm doing it and I'm taking it week by week and uh, you know taking measurements or taking blood glucose readings or whatever it is that I can tangibly measure to make sure that I'm going in the right direction and uh, for me I don't like tracking macros <laughs> and so is is there something that um, you know I, I'm not sure how you sit with this but. What what is a successful um, day for you in in terms of being able to eat and being able to uh, track the things that you're doing, so that you're moving in the in the right direction? But uh, for people out there who don't like tracking macros, or for the people who don't even, don't know what macros work for them, are there ways that you can like make sure that you're going in the right direction? So this is kind of a multi part answer. I don't track either. Um, I've switched over very much to a more intuitive approach to my eating and it takes a while to get there. It takes a while to be able to say the difference between I'm truly hungry or I'm bored or emotional. And then also I am craving more carbs because I did a very hard, intense CrossFit workout this morning versus my body says it needs a cookie. You know what I mean? So like it takes, it's a fine line, but getting to that place of honesty. And so now I'm kind of in this zone where I intermittent fast and I carb cycle and I eat very intuitively because I feel like while tracking macros works for some and some people need that hard line, they need that fat percentage to hit each day. They need, you know, they need to know that their protein is exactly where it should be and they're balancing it for every meal and they're tracking. To me, that led to burnout. Like it's just exhausting and it takes the fun out of it and it doesn't feel like it makes it a sustainable lifestyle. It feels like a chore. Um, and so, you know, some of the benchmarks that I feel like aren't, they're not in my goal to lose weight. The questions I ask myself, if I'm staying on course, they aren't necessarily all weight related. It's how am I sleeping? How are my energy levels? How are my clothes fitting? One of the very last things will be, you know, checking in with the scale. Cause yeah, I mean, that number is important, but there's so many other factors and I, you know, I hate it when you get a slave to the scale, but, um, there's so many more pieces to the puzzle than just a weight or a number on a scale. And a lot of it has to me for me has to do with like mental health and energy levels. Um, am I eating to perform? Cause I can tell if my nutrition isn't where it should be, I can tell it on a workout first and foremost, anywhere that's where I'm going to feel it. And I don't mean like, Hey, I went out and binge ate or I drank, but like maybe I need to up my carbs for a couple days or maybe I, you know, so for me, I just think there's a lot of other things you can do outside of that. Like, gluing yourself to an app and tracking every single thing you eat. But it does take a lot of honesty, asking yourself the right questions um, and really learning what your body wants and what your body needs and taking those cues and deciphering them and then, you know, giving your body what it wants. And that's kind of it. I haven't always lived in this space, um, but that's kind of where I am now. I've had some, you know, my kind of, where I've gone from my eating has changed a lot over the years. And now I'm currently like dairy free and egg free because I've got some food intolerances. Um, and so switching into those kind of led me into more of a more intuitive approach as well. Mm, yeah. And it's really important when you find those things that are uh, not necessarily triggers into uh, like the carb related world, but it's also things like eggs and, and dairy that, 
uh, you know, keto just brushes over sometimes and it can be a real problem for some people. And I've sort of experienced that in the past couple of weeks too, where I've, I've tried to like, as a kid, I, I used to get earaches when I'd have uh, milk a lot. And you know, that feeling when, you know, ah, oh, you know, you've just grown out of it. Uh, I don't have that intolerance anymore. Turns out your body just got really used to the toxins from that, <laughs> from that intolerance. And so when you remove it, um, you know, I found I could smell more. I found I could, like, I could actually tell the difference in what plants I was walking past. And I used to have a really keen sense of smell when I was a kid, but I thought I was just getting old. And, uh, and so no, it just turns out I was just eating too much dairy. And uh, I think that's sort of where paleo gets it right sometimes where they have removed dairy from their diet, but some people, you know, dairy is not a problem. And so, you know, for, for those types of people, then that's, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, tracking those, those things in a more intuitive way is, is ultimately where I think some people will want to be going. And yeah, as you said before, you know, some people need those numbers and they need to be able to hit those numbers every day, um, to, to, to help them feel okay about that, you know, that they're moving in the right direction. Um, and my partner's so much better than this than I am. And she is able to really, um, self analyze either what she's eaten that day or what, she's been eating this week uh, and and how it's making her feel. And I think being in tune with that, like when you start just counting numbers and you just start putting things into MyFitnessPal or whatever app you're using, you start not listening to your body and you start going, oh, okay, this is, and you know, that that's a good thing for some people because they're not sure how things are meant to feel. But when you go, like if you were to track for a week and then stop and then go again, um, you know, a year down the track just to make sure that you're on the right direction. Um, that works too. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to talk about that because they're all like really tangible things that you can be doing to make sure that you're moving in the, in the right direction. And so many people, I get, I get this question. I'm sure you get this question too, is they say, I'm eating too much protein or I'm not sure if I can handle this much fat. Um, and, and so are there any like really common questions that you get from, uh, I guess from the people with your cookbook and all of the people that come to your website and the emails that you get every single day, is there any common questions that you get uh, for those people who are just starting out in the ketogenic diet and, uh, and, and what sort of uh, advice would you give to those people? So, I mean, it's kind of tricky because I feel like you could ask that question to a hundred different people in the keto community and they're all going to give a different answer. Um, Backing up just a touch, I do want to say that the method that I take to my own approach now, that's cultivated over seven years. I do think that someone just starting out probably does need to track, you know, until they get a hang of it. Um, I eat a lot of the same foods. And so I could rattle off the total and net carb count of almost any food I would put in my mouth. And that's because I'm eating single ingredient foods. You know, like I can tell you like the carb counts in like the meats or the broccoli or, you know. And so for me... While I say I'm not tracking, I'm at a point where I can loosely track in my head my carbs for the day because I know the carb count for the foods I'm eating. So I just kind of wanted to back up and say that first because if someone's jump, I, I wouldn't expect someone to jump right in from a super high carb, high sugar diet into low carb and just be like, I'm just going to listen to my body. So I want to say that I realize that's <laughs> not realistic because you're going to say, yeah, my body wants Doritos, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, I do want to just back up to mention that, 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 you know, that, like I said, this is, you know, seven, eight years in the making for me to get to this point. But I think the biggest question that I get asked is like, how do I know how many carbs I should eat in a day? And 
my answer to that is because everybody, the, the number that everyone throws around is 20, like start at 20, start at 20. And I, I just don't, like I said, I don't think that that's a one size fits all approach. And I think that when you're determining that ultimate number that you should start at, there's like a series of questions you should ask yourself first. You know, I just, and it's not, you know, someone who has 200 pounds to lose versus someone who is, you know, doesn't have any weight loss issues and they're eating it because, you know, they have autoimmune issues or they, um, you know, they want to be just like fat adapted, you know, or for their athleticism or, you know, or all the different diseases that a ketogenic diet can help with, you know, everybody comes into this lifestyle for a different reason. And I think that that reason is really going to weigh heavily on where you should start and where you should ultimately end up. And so I always see people say, oh yeah, just uh, go low carb, high fat, you know, 20 grams of carbs, you'll be good. You know, let's, you know, stay at 75% fat, 20% protein, 5% carbs. Like it's just this, you know, like you're ordering off a value meal. It's just not that, it's not that cut and dry. Yeah, it's interesting, you know. Um, and uh, I, I would totally agree with that because when I was, uh, as I was saying before, I was running the marathon and uh, I possibly did um, one of the, <laughs> one of the fastest half marathons and then the, one of my slowest half marathons <laughs> after that <laughs> throughout the race. And, uh, and it would simply came down to, uh, not being quite fat adapted enough. And, uh, and, you know, there's just, there's so many different things. And, and now I've started introducing a few carbs back in as what they call targeted ketosis. And then, um, or, you know, as, as you're saying, the, the cyclical uh, ones where you can cycle the carbs in. How, how has do, doing CrossFit and, as you said, you know, throwing weights around the gym, doing yoga and, you know, just general daily activities, how can you um, – uh, and, and how have you found going low-carb has helped you with those different activities? Like was were you ever into, I guess, CrossFit or uh, doing that sort of exercise before? And then how has exercise helped you move in the right direction over the past seven years? So exercise for me, and it's kind of funny. So when I was at my heaviest, people would say, and I would post something about like a walk, like a really long walk or a workout, or, you know, they'd say, how can you do that? And I would say, well, because I've always done it. I've worked out at every weight because I love, I, I, I love working out. I don't, I always tell people, I don't work out because I hate my body. I work out because I love my body. And, you know, like, that could sound to some people being like, well, if you love your body, you wouldn't have got so overweight. But so when I would do these things, like, you know, I've done CrossFit at 280 pounds. I've done CrossFit at 180 pounds. And I I got more into fitness later. They, there, there was no real correlation between going low-carb or keto and upping my fitness because, you know, I've always been a person who works out in the morning and I've always worked out fasted. So the differences there weren't as, like, obvious for me as they might have been for someone else um, because I kind of didn't really make that switch there. I was already working out. I'm not really a – I'm not hungry in the morning um, before I even knew that I was intermittent fasting, that was something that I was doing because I was just eating when I was hungry. Uh, so I can't really say that for me personally, um, that being low carb or keto helped or hindered my fitness in any way. But I will say at the height of, uh, my time in CrossFit and when I was probably the fittest that I had ever been in my life and, you know, doing CrossFit four or five times a week, I got my, I got my level one coaching certificate. Um, throwing around some pretty heavy weights, I couldn't stay as low carb. Like I, even if I tried to just say, okay, well maybe I'm not fat adapted. I had to add in more carbs and I had to start eating in the morning 
Um, and I was still losing weight at the time, but I had gone up to almost a hundred grams of carbs in a day and was still losing weight. But if I didn't like, and I was adding them in the form of more vegetables, you know, like I had added in some sweet potatoes, uh, before I would head to the gym or something like that, because I just could not fuel my workouts on 20 car 20 grams of carbs, which is where I was still trying to stay at the time. And so that was kind of my first go around with listening to my body because I was just like, I would feel terrible. I would feel nauseous. Like I couldn't lift the weight that I could lift, you know, the week before, um, I would feel super run down the whole day. And then when I upped my carbs, I felt great. I felt great during my workouts. I felt great, um, you know, from my recovery and throughout the day. But that was on those heavy lifting days. I couldn't keep my carbs that high on sedentary days and find the same success. So it was really about eating to perform there and not, you know, and that's kind of saying like, you know, the, going back to like the whole intuitive thing. So if I wasn't working out at all, I could never get by with 100 grams of carbs a day and lose weight. I would continue to gain weight. Mm. So mm. yeah, it's it's important to like separate those things out and and also know the training load that you're going through at the time as well. And I think you know something like weightlifting can be hard to to um, to know exactly how many I guess how many calories you're burning and what your body deficit is. But <clears throat> I think you when you get to that stage, it does become very uh, in, intuitive. Um, and so uh, for people who go out there on, on bikes and they have power meters and they know exactly how much power they put out <laughs> and then they can, you know, re refuel with that amount of power with the Tour de France, it's just gone. Um, yeah. I mean, like it can get a little bit tricky when you're doing, when you're doing things like CrossFit and weightlifting and, and, and those types of things. But I think those types of exercise and that strength related um uh, you know, that strength building is so important, especially as, as you get older too. And that's what I'm finding. I can't just go out there and run uh, all, all week because I just get injured. And, uh, and it's just because you have weaknesses in other parts and that's just all part of it. But I was talking to um, last week, I was talking to a girl called Emily and she did a full marathon on the ketogenic diet and she was using um perfect keto but she was using some of the exogenous ketones that came with i think maybe the pre-workout um and the the exact specifics i'm not sure but she was saying that that really really helped as well um and so i it's it's not something that i've played around too much with but for any athletes out there um and i i think exogenous ketones are irrelevant to 99 percent of the population but for the the one percent who are trying to look to improve their performance in a really stressful week of exercise have you ever um dabbled in the world of exogenous ketones with powerlifting or with uh, crossfit or anything like that or have you kept it um i guess cheaper because <laughs> exogenous ketones are insanely expensive um <clears throat> have you gone down that route at all in your training see i think you hit i think our our feelings on this are very aligned um i I don't use exogenous ketones and I take a pretty strong stance against them, like with my readers. But the reason being, so like in the instance you're talking about, that's like the 1% of someone who could benefit and they're using them in the right way. My fault is in the way that they're marketed, you know, saying you can go out and like party all weekend, eat whatever you want, have that pizza, drink that beer, and then take a scoop of these and we'll kick you right back into ketosis. And so that's, you know, so the marketing of that is what really was like, it was a hard no for me in the beginning because of the way that it was, you know, marketed. And, you know, like when I tell people, I said, you know what that says to me? And they're like, what? And I say, okay, well, if I'm sober and you do my blood alcohol 
There's not going to be, it's going to be zero. There's going to be no alcohol. If I go take some shots of vodka, yeah, you're going to, my blood's going to test for alcohol. You know, it's kind of the same thing with like, oh, well, yeah, you're back. You're like, look at the ketones we're measuring. You know, it's kind of the same thing there. I do think that there could be some benefits to it from an athletic standpoint, if it's done right, which in the scenario that you just named, but I, I have never dabbled in it. And I think it's because I will be honest, I, I was just so put off in the way that it was marketed to me time and time again. And because I run a larger Instagram page and because I have, you know, this established blog that's been there, I get hit up all the time and the pitches are just so terrible and they're never like increase your performance, increase your health and wellness. It's always like, Hey, did you eat too much over the weekend? You know? And so, um, I do use a lot of the perfect keto products. I just don't use their exogenous ketones, but it is, it is something that I would, I I could potentially see myself running an experience to see how it might change, uh, my energy levels, you know, during a workout or things like that, but I don't personally use them. And because of the message that's been sent, I don't recommend them to people because I think it can get really confusing if they go into it thinking, not knowing exactly what it is and just thinking it's a tool to help them get back on track when they mess up. Mm, yeah, no, I totally agree. And uh, yeah, that marketing so, so, so dangerous <clears throat> because um, yeah, as you said, the, the amount of ketones you have in your body isn't necessarily the amount that you're burning or using. Um, and, uh, and, you know, uh, for, for Emily, she ran a just over a three hour marathon in the pouring rain. And so she's already extremely fit. And, um, and so she's using these, these, uh, you know, supplements to help her push into that under three hour mark, which is crazy. Like that's getting into like super elite level. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so it's not for everyone, definitely, but, but yeah, it's something that I'm looking in, into, into maybe incorporating into some of my training. And, but, but I also think that something like MCT oil or powder can also be just as effective. And I was reading about some of the pathways on how <clears throat> MCT oil goes through your body and it doesn't get stored as fat and it gets converted into energy in like three steps as opposed to 26 for sugar. Um, <clears throat> so MCT oil can be a really helpful uh tool as well and it's nowhere near as expensive um but i like to end this podcast with a few quick questions and uh and i think some of these are going to be interesting because um you have uh some some interesting things on some exercises and foods and whatnot um so the first one is what is your favorite keto food what is something that you probably wouldn't go a week without of uh it's actually more of a recipe but i would say egg roll in a bowl Oh, all right. Tell, tell us how to make this egg roll in a bowl. This sounds delicious. <laughs> so it's really simple. The recipe's on my site and it's in my book, Craveable Keto, but it's just uh, sesame oil, cabbage, onion, garlic, just kind of all those great Asian flavors, ground pork, uh, sriracha. And it's just all, it's like all everything that's delicious about the inside of an egg roll without the wrapper. And I, I actually just prepped a double batch of it before I before I got on with you for my husband and I to eat throughout the week. I just never get tired of it. I eat it all the time. Oh, that's so awesome. All right. I'm going to have to link that in the show notes of this and it'll be, uh, you know, if you go to the show notes, you'll be able to see the, the book and also the, the website to that. Um, that's awesome. I, I never really knew what an egg roll was until I started eating a lot of eggs. <laughs> and so <laughs> you like can be pretty creative when it comes to things like that. Uh, so that's delicious. That's awesome. If you're, if you're looking for something to make tonight, if you're listening to this podcast, go ahead and try that egg roll um, because it, obviously it's a fantastic recipe. But do you have a favorite exercise? Uh, yeah, yoga. 
Yoga. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've recently been going to yoga and, uh, it's, it's really tough for a tall person, <laughs> but, um, you know, is it something that you've, you've done throughout your entire life and are you naturally flexible or does it come with its own struggles? Um, I will say I am naturally flexible and I've been doing yoga uh, since I was about 19. Um, so about, unfortunately I'll throw this out, this age out there. So about 20 years, <laughs> but for me, it's more about the mind-body connection and just being present and just carving out that time for myself. Like, I love lifting and I love CrossFit, but I love just the inner peace that I feel f- from yoga. And um, I just I just love the way it feels, like, head to toe. So, yeah, I would for sure I would say yoga. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what is your least favorite keto food? Now, some people say avocado. Some people say, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that people don't like, but is there something in particular for you? Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts. <laughs> yeah, I was like that for ages too, actually. <laughs> Childhood torture food. And I, it's funny because people say, well, how do you write Brussels sprout recipes? And I'm like, well, I know flavor profiles. I know how to put flavors together. I know what goes good with that. I don't actually have to eat them. But, yeah, I just I do not like Brussels sprouts at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I, I recently um, uh, I came across – well, no. Okay. So what I do is that I put them in the oven and I sprinkle them with olive oil and, and all sorts of herbs and get them really crispy. But when I was growing up, um, we used to have them boiled with butter. And for that, and the squeakiness between my teeth for me was just like no go. <laughs> so maybe, maybe for people out there who uh, are thinking uh, they also don't like Brussels sprouts, maybe it's the way you cook them. But I'm guessing for you, Kendra, you've cooked them thousands of different times. So that is a no-go zone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've also now, and for me, it's, it's, done, it's like what you're saying. So my mom cooked them. She like boiled them to extinction where they weren't even green anymore. They were brown. And then just put salt on them and then forced us to eat them. So, you know, now when I make them, obviously I'm roasting them in the oven. I'm getting that good caramelization on them. And, you know, it, it wouldn't be like I was a kid where I would like, I would put it in my mouth and I would like try to puff my air full of mouth and like air chew and then swallow it with milk. I would like, make a game out of it. So bad. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and so in contrast to your favorite exercise, what is something that you're not a big fan of doing, whether it's an exercise or a, or a, a lift or um, a particular thing that you've been struggling with recently? I don't, I don't like running. Oh yeah. That's a- no, I would walk like I walking. I love like I can, I will walk all day every day. Like if you said, "Hey, t- we're gonna walk twenty miles today," I would be like, "Okay," but I just I don't like the way running feels on my joints. I get bored and too in my head, and I just like I I like so I'm in awe of people that can run those long distances and that enjoy it and that crave to do it because I'm like maybe if I was being chased, but maybe even not. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got the zombie app in your in your headphones, then maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, is there a book or video that has recently inspired you, or is there a book that you always go back to, or is it something that you recommend to your friends before they go out and do something uh, incredible in their life? Um, anything by Brene Brown is always really inspiring to me, and it helps me, like I would say, reconnect with who I am and um, where I want to be, and like you know, being aligned in like kind of mind, body and spirit. But, um, I, a book right now that I really think everyone in this whole community should read is unconventional medicine by Chris Kresser. That book is amazing. Um, it's just, 
I can't say enough good things about it. And it's just very eye-opening about our healthcare system here um, and all the ways that it's broken and just kind of being an advocate for your own health and the roles that the role that genetics play and that food plays. And um, that's just kind of something that I keep going back to now. Yeah, interesting. Okay, Unconventional Medicine. I haven't actually read that book, which is uh, strange for me because I just love, <laughs> well, not reading books, but audiobooks. Do, are you someone who reads a physical book or do you have audiobooks or podcasts? I love, I just love the feel of holding a book. I love the smell of books. I love turning the pages. But what happens a lot of times is I'll buy the book. I won't end up reading it, so it'll sit there. And then I'll buy the audiobook and I'll listen to it. But I prefer I prefer books. Um, I listen to I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I like to read books, like in in hand, tangible yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, and and uh, in hand, tangible recipe books too. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, so I used to be a musician for a long time, uh, and uh, so it's really interesting for me to hear people's musical taste or to find out what you've been recently listening to. Is there any music that you go back to all the time? And then have you been listening to an album or an artist recently that has just really inspired you? Um, You know, my musical tastes are kind of all over the place because I grew up listening to like hardcore ghetto rap and I still love that. (laughs) And then, you know, my dad dad listened to classic rap, my mom listened to country. And so like a lot of times, like if you were to come to my house, I'm either going to be listening to some pretty explicit rap or some country music, but um, what I go back to over and over again and what I wrote, like every last page of Cravable Keto was written listening to Lindsay Sterling. Oh, I love her. Lindsay Sterling. Ah, yeah. That's awesome. She's a, a, like an electric violinist and, um, or the Amelie soundtrack, which is done by Jan Tiersen, which is a lot of, but yeah. Um, yeah. Lindsay Sterling, I'd say above the rest. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to have to put together like a playlist of all of the music recommendations that I've got from the podcast <laughs> because there are some really awesome ones. And I, I, I tend to like, once the podcast is finished, I go and have a listen to it and I, and I, and I just go, wow, you know, I, I haven't heard of this one before. That's, that's so awesome. Um, and so at the very end question to this podcast, I like to either um, end in a recipe, a recipe that is described in tantalizing detail, but I guess we've already done the egg roll. Um, so maybe some advice for people out there. So I guess the question is, if someone out there is trying keto for the first time and is struggling with their weight, what advice would you give them? And then in contrast to that, what things would you let them learn along the way? I would tell anybody who's looking to get started just to start now and then learn as you go. Because I think we kind of live in this world where people feel like they need to know everything before they even begin. And then you kind of end up in this state of analysis paralysis because there's so much information out there. So my advice would be just start, just make the choice to start. I know that that might sound oversimplified, but, and then learn as you go, learn more. Like if counting macros is what you want to learn about, learn about counting macros, learn about how to read a nutrition label, learn about how many carbs you should have. You know, it's a, it's a learning curve and then my other advice would be kind of something I touched on earlier is clean things up as you go. Like it didn't happen. For, I didn't switch over to like pastured, organic grass fed everything the day of, like I cleaned it up as I could, as finance is allowed, as I learned. And so I would just say, do the best you can with what you have and just make each day a little better than the day before it. And before you know it, the progress that you can make with just like such simple changes without stressing yourself out is remarkable before you know it you look back two months and you think gosh like I've already lost this much weight or I already feel this much better and then 
or you list all the things that you learned in those two months, just learning as you go. Because if you feel like if you're going to take the time to say, I have to learn everything before I start, let's be honest, you're never going to start. Mm. You know, it's just too much. And and I don't know about you, but uh, I feel like I'm still learning. So it, it never really stops, does it? No, it doesn't. I learn something new every day. And that's what I love about this. Like just that thirst for knowledge and, you know, and the ability to just learn and try things out and be like, oh my gosh, that totally works for me. Or be like, oh, that does not work for me. And now I know like, yeah, it's just, I love learning new things and you'll never stop learning. So just start now and learn as you go. Because if you wait a year to start, think of the progress you could have made in one year's time, whether it's looking to lose weight or progress with health conditions or, you know, so my biggest, and people, I know it sounds simple, but my advice is just start and then, you know, do the best you can with what you have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the, the simple advice is the best. And, and uh, so, you know, that, that, that is really great advice. And I've had so much fun talking to you on this podcast because I think we hold a lot of the same sort of values, which is really awesome. Um, and so if people want to learn more about you and where, uh, you know, some of the cookbooks and things like that, where can people find you? Where can people get your cookbooks? Where can people get everything that's available on your site? And uh, where can people find you on Instagram, Facebook and social media and whatnot? So my, my website is peaceloveandlowcarb.com. And then just across all social media, it's all the same, just peace, love, and low carb. And if you, if you type peace, love, and low carb into Google, everything is going to tie to me in some way. Um, and then my books, you can get them on Amazon. You can get them at Barnes & Noble, Target, um, any in brick-and-mortar bookstores, um, yeah, so that's pretty. They're pretty out there. Yeah, they're pretty pretty accessible. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so great. A little look. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I, I really appreciate you taking out the time and uh, and coming and talking to the people who listen to this podcast. And I'm sure a lot of people have got some really beneficial knowledge on uh, you know just that 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 journey along their ketogenic diet or along whatever they're trying to do. So so I just wanted to thank you so much again and uh, and all the best. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week.